Welcome. Welcome to another episode of Into the Mystic. I'm Kayleen McCaw coming to you from the heart of Wildwood Gardens. The mystic being that place I like to call backstage at the human experience, which as we go forward takes on more and more layers of meaning. And we're going to try and sort that baby out today. So I'm calling in the big guns. Sending out the perfect carrier wave, the tone of coherence to contain our shared experience here today. And encoding in that wave the intention of truth. And in the quest for that truth, I light the cup of joy. May it burn between us the light that is our consciousness, having an adventure in the mud, the combustion that brings forth the flavor of awareness. May it suffuse this place. I call on the connection that we have understood or not with all of life that has come before us and all of life that comes after us. May what happens in this time be in service of that life. Any torches that are passed into this moment be from the past, from the future, because we know all that is just not real. We receive them now. May what is most beneficial to be said, be said, and that which seems cool but is for another time, may it wait its turn. I give thanks that we are in the care of a plan beyond our ability to destroy in the midst of a beauty beyond our ability to either stop or comprehend. And I rest in that and enjoy the company of all who will ever be part of this conversation. So I've been taking a little bit of a break because you can probably figure why. What are you going to say about the shit show we're inside of? Um, except that it really seems like a diagram that I saw of what a pole shift looks like energetically. And it's like all these blobs, like there's seven North Poles and none of them is North and ah! So it's normal for us to feel as crazy as we feel right now. So my guest today uh, is Joseph Shirk. Should I call you Joseph or Joe? Either one, usually uh, people call me Joseph when I'm in trouble. <laughs> Oh, well, we're all in trouble. We'll call you Joe then, because we want to get out of trouble. Um, so Joe is a new friend with a storied past and a whole lot of interesting perspectives. I think we can sort some stuff out together. So let me bring, there you are. Hello, Joe. Hi. So tell us a little bit about your background and what brings you to your view on the present situation. Oh boy, it goes back a ways. Um, it goes back to um, actually since uh, my since I was about eleven, I would say um, I had um, always had a sense of destiny since I was young. For example, uh, when I first heard about UFOs in the nineteen seventies, maybe nineteen seventy-seven, it just kind of grabbed me and. It was actually a topic that I never let go of. <clears throat> also, throughout my um, 
and since I was about 11, I had a lot of what I would call supernatural experiences, out-of-body experiences, things like that. This created conflict uh, for me for a number of years because I had a, a very intellectual approach to life. And of course, I, was, I received the standard indoctrination about the origins, origins of humanity and the universe and uh, the mechanistic viewpoint. And at some point, though I was a self-professed atheist up until the time I was about 18, it didn't jive very well with my supernatural experiences. So um, I had to reconcile with that, and it kind of put me on a path of um, introspection about what it is to be, what it is to be conscious, what it is to think, to plan, to desire, all these things all these things. So I got started thinking very early on about the mind. Uh, I was a tinkerer as a kid. I played around with robots. I made things. Mm -hmm. I read everything I could get my hands on at the time. I turned paper and basically about that. And um, I really thought a lot about what it takes to be conscious. Now, um, <clears throat> when I was 19, I joined the Air Force. And uh, I went to the, to the recruiting office, and uh, they came to me and said, well, we've got two uh, possibilities for you because you maxed out on your ASVAB test, meaning I basically got 100% on everything. And they said, well, you could be on the bomb squad, <laughs> or we can uh, send you to Russian school. And you're going to work on a place uh, that looks like the Enterprise, the bridge of the Enterprise. And I was like, hmm, bomb squad, Enterprise. Uh, me I'll up, baby. The, I think I'll take the Russian school. So I became a linguist for the Air Force. Uh, I got a very eye-opening uh, experience for 10 years working as a translator. Um, I translated um, everything from, uh, well, I spent several years um, translating uh, communications with the Soviet cosmonauts on the Mir space station. That means uh, in order to follow the conversation, you have to know everything about what they've got, what it's called, and how it works, and how you fix it, how things are done. So technically speaking, I could say truthfully that I know how to fly a spaceship and dock it. <laughs> I also had the opportunity uh, during those 10 years uh, to work at a place that used to be known as the Foreign Technology Division. It's a place where they uh, take recovered technology from foreign sources and reverse engineer it. My function there was mostly uh, translating books, you know, things like repair manuals and uh, other things that they found. What's interesting about Foreign Technology Division is that it's at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base where the famous Hangar 18 is, which I never got to see. I never got to go into those places if they, if they still exist. I spent a lot of time translating highly technical scientific papers, research, everything from high energy particle physics, very high mathematics, computer science, 
artificial intelligence. So I took an interest in all those things. You have to know something about the subject matter mm-hmm. if you're going to be translating it faithfully. So that kind of um, set the groundwork uh, for what I was going to be doing afterwards. Gave me an understanding of how things are kept secret in, in large organizations, compartmentalization. So it didn't surprise me when I started hearing conspiracy theories in my early 20s that nobody knows about and how to keep that secret. And I started to see things occur, major things that were either not mentioned all in the media or grossly distorted. And that was, that was kind of my red pill moment seeing that happen. And when is this? This is in the, the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that happened, I know, I know of a major uh, nuclear incident that occurred in the Pacific that was never reported because I was the person that reported that to my superiors and transcribed everything. Another thing that happened is I went to a really huge uh, pro-life rally in 1991 that was in Washington, D.C. At that time, I was very, uh, I was a rather conservative Christian. And uh, so I went to that event. I felt strongly about the importance of it. And what I witnessed was that all day long, there were helicopters flying over news news panels. There's probably half a million people there. And the next day on the Washington Post and one of the page 30, it was kind of barely mentioned and they totally distorted the number of people that were there. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my, the beginning of my mistrust of the media and just maybe a glimpse of what we, what we all t- understand today is the matrix. That um, reality has little to do with what we're told. Mm-hmm. That kind of... Um, that brings me up to uh, the mid '90s, uh, where I had a rather, uh, you know, we, we had these, uh, we had the beginning of the Gulf War, Desert Storm, and the whole thing sickened me at the time because I understood at that time that um, Saddam Hussein was set up. You know, he was basically given a green light to invade Kuwait and then killed millions of people based on that as an excuse. And it turned my stomach and I, I was like, I can't be part of this. So I got out after 10 years with very no plan. And uh, at that time I had a wife and children. So getting out of the Air Force and leaving behind all the security that you get is uh, it's kind of reckless actually. <laughs> to to do with all that responsibility, but I just didn't want to be part of that. And I knew that it was time for me to find something else to do, and that's where I started getting involved in a lot of other interesting things. Some things are actually I discovered. I I, I got working uh, with some people that were um, I thought good people, having to do with um, secret trusts which are actually used for money laundering. And um, I, I honestly thought I was helping farmers save their farms from taxation. But it turned out that I figured out that they were shady people, they were going to embezzle people, and I had to warn all of my 
clients that I had relationships with as a, you know, looking out for their best interest. And I had to pull the plug on that because I was being set up for the, for the fall for what they were planning on doing next. Mm-hmm. And um, I spent the next several years doing IT things, mostly working with data and databases. Um, I'm very experienced with uh, data manipulation, uh, data aggregation, and so forth. And that's kind of like an important uh, topic today because it's a major way that uh, people are being manipulated. Figures don't lie, but liars figure. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I've got the basics of data science under my belt, and um, I, I t- continue to be interested in, um, you know, fringy type topics. I, I do consider myself an expert on the question of extraterrestrials, UFOs. Because like when that. you say foreign technology, you're talking about extremely foreign. Is that right? Could be. I mean, it might be Soviet or it might be something that crashed in the desert. You mm-hmm. know? Um, the, the lore behind all that is that there are very secretive teams who go out and pick those things up. So I, you know, I paid close attention to that topic throughout that time. You know, part of my awakening process was uh, late night talk shows on the shortwave radio, mm-hmm. which is Art Bell. That time there was <clears throat> there was barely an internet, so shortwave was the back channel. Right. And um, I, you know, I've looked a lot into the philosophy behind um, transhumanism, artificial intelligence, the nature of consciousness, uh, the nature of innate knowledge, or what we might say, instinctive knowledge, or wisdom, and so forth. So I, uh, you know. I feel that my main role uh, over the last few years is to encourage people and say, hey, you're not crazy. <laughs> right. Uh, there's something going on and you're seeing it. And uh, I always tell my people that are starting to embrace these topics, just withhold judgment. There's always more. There's more coming. <laughs> just wait. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes I've created monsters that way because I didn't get to finish uh, introducing them to the more. And uh, I, you know, I've made tons of really just ridiculous mistakes. I spent about a year and a half in the Amazon. Uh, I trekked from one end of South America to the other, and I learned a lot about um, interaction with people. It does not involve money because I literally had nothing. I had a backpack, no money. I'm very, very concerned about the deception about what money is. Mm. It is money is not what people think it is. It is the ultimate control system. It is purely psychological. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's let, let's take that as a as a way in because there there's so many things to be talked about at so many times and this is like this is a good neutral place to start um, something that we've all suckered for without ever thinking for a minute that we're in the middle of something that is you know essentially a very long running psyop. Mm-hmm. Um, money is an idea. 
it's an idea we've been sold. And as long as we're with the program, we're inside the control system. Totally voluntary too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of time on my hands a few years ago uh, where I, um, you know, it was after the Obama collapse, uh, the banking system collapse. Uh, and I had a really hard time finding work. So I had a lot of time on my hands to research this topic and I wrote a lot about it. Uh, I, I uh, yeah, you're not, um, is your mic on your cord? Could use a I little can. more volume. How's this? Yeah, that's, that's better. I just don't want to lose your, lose your word. I don't want to make you hold your mic, but if you can turn it up a little bit, that probably worked better. I don't know how I can do that. Uh, probably involves disturb, disturbing the phone, but well, I'll do okay. this for now. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was invited to join a number of think tanks about this topic, especially the ideas of alternative currency. <clears throat> this is kind of when Bitcoin came on the scene and I was very much uh, into a libertarian mindset at that time. So I thought, yeah, the banks are the source of all of our problems and that's what we need is an alternative, uh, something that's decentralized and uh, doesn't involve a um, ultimate permission to act. Right, okay, so, um... I'm, I'm following you in a general sense, but I'm assuming that a large portion of the audience would benefit from, let's go back to the beginning and walk up this hill slowly. Certainly. People who have never thought about, I mean, you know, let, let's just assume that my answer was, what do you mean money's not real, Joe? You're a conspiracy yeah. nut, aren't you? Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of people arguing about this topic, and i found very few that have really um, gone through the last door that there is to go through. That is the idea that money is actually just information. It's a system of accounting. Mm -hmm. We have been bred, uh, trained to think of it as a commodity like gold. And for, for many centuries, gold uh, would become a medium of exchange and a store of value because of it, it had intrinsic value, it had limited supply, and we have this belief that our money system was based on that. When, in, you know, most people today are familiar with the concept of fiat, the idea that uh, a king decrees that this will be the medium of exchange and also a medium, uh, a store of value. Mm -hmm. Thing is, they can print as much as they want. And nowadays it's super easy because it's just numbers in a database. Right. Literally just typing numbers into a spreadsheet is what it really involves. Okay. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and do like the fifth grade version because I like to be able to, you know, put things in simple little boxes. So at one point our currency was on the gold standard, right? That was the original plan that the reason we print up the pieces of paper is that they are, and in the original ones, they say gold certificate or something like that on them, right? That this represents the existence of this thing that actually does have intrinsic value for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and it's just easier to toss around because gold's heavy and you know, all, all these reasons. And then at some point for, 
I mean, we could go into that whole story about how and why that happened and, you know, more unexpected craziness behind the scenes. Um, why did we, why did we change that? How did that happen? It's very relevant to today. Um, I was a kid when that happened in, in uh, 1972, 73, we were told that there was an energy crisis. There was a shortage of oil. Uh, but actually what was happening is that they were changing over a, the monetary system from a so-called gold-backed system, which really meant that a promise is made to exchange a silver certificate for silver, etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, we haven't had any accounting of the gold and, sil <clears throat> gold and silver reserves. We, we still haven't since that time but they just switched it over to the petrodollar system which meant that uh, money was really being backed by saudi oil and of course uh it had to be enforced through the united states military power to make sure that nobody else would circumvent that so that's why we're so concerned about oil around the world because mm -hmm. it's the secret value of our money Oil has literally been our, our main source of energy for 100 years, despite the fact that all of our other technologies have uh, moved light years ahead since that time. Despite the fact that people like Nikola Tesla seem to have answers to that problem, the limited supply, the fact that it's contaminating the environment, mm -hmm. the fact that there's a lot of blood and war involved in it, uh, just a lot of war has been invested in keeping that system intact and so they just kind of lied to us and said um, you know the gold speculators make it necessary for us to detach from the gold standard although i think we really were doing that quite a while before that time you know it was necessary to print lots of money to keep all these wars going since world war ii um, so the big red pill is that um honestly i'm not a I'm not a fan of the gold standard. It's just that those few people that are clued in about what money actually is see that as the way to prevent a um, dilution of the currency's value through inflation. Right. So there are, there are um, new ideas starting to kick around as people are realizing we've got to build a different world with monetary systems that just have like fundamentally different systems of gears inside of them. Um, some that are based on like social capital. If you're demonstrably doing good in the world, your stock of stuff to do good with grows larger because everyone can confirm that you're doing good in the world. And um, uh, like a negative interest where the longer you hold on to your money, the less it's worth to encourage a free flowing exchange as opposed to all the scurrying and hoarding and scarcity consciousness. And um, That's an interesting uh, point because uh, that is what we're being told is um, it's a, uh, uh, it's an incentive to keep money circulating. Of course, it's just information. You have the internet, you have data. Really, that's a sign that the system that we have is collapsing. It is not continue. Uh, it's not sustainable. And uh, the only way to keep it from crashing right now, in Europe and in Japan, is to um, keep people from putting money in the bank and keep it out of the bank. Uh, it, it just means that this is the this is death's door for 
that system. It probably was supposed to collapse before now. But we got this other unexpected uh, president who uh, had other plans. And I believe his plan is to destroy that system without destroying the economy and without hurting everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole topic in itself. I'm not saying that he is the mastermind of this, but he's definitely working with those people who are the mastermind because it's clear from opinions that he made publicly years ago, like 2013, that something needed to be done about it. So he knew, he understood. Mm-hmm. The king of bankruptcy understood that the world needs to go bankrupt and we need to do it in a way that doesn't have lots of collateral damage. Right, because lots of people have been saying for a long time that the system is coming down without necessarily sharing the details of, you know, why or how, or but that, uh, like the too big to fail uh, trope mm-hmm. that went out in the Obama presidency, that was code for, or else everything's going away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we uh, we got the warning from people like Paulson that uh, that's had to happen, or else you know it's going to be under the world. Hmm? Who's that? Paulson, Henry Paulson was uh, one of the people. He's, he's closely associated with um, Chase Manhattan and the Obama Treasury, and uh, kind of he seemed to have this ready-made legislature an executive order that was ready to be signed to just create trillions of dollars to save the too big to fail. Mm-hmm. I think they had other plans. Uh, they had other plans for um, this that involved further weakening of the United States so that we would be very powerless to do anything about the inevitable collapse. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I was very pessimistic about everything. Uh, at that time, I didn't really see an honest way out. You know, I didn't see enough mass consciousness about it. I didn't see any honest uh, politicians and power brokers. Uh, honestly, I was ready to move into the jungle and, and just let it happen. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't have a, I couldn't come up with a better plan. You know, I just didn't see the awakening necessary to just walk away from all of that. You know, everybody's starting to behave like a, a village and produce things locally. I just didn't see it happening. There's a lot of people out there trying to make that happen, but it just didn't look like it was catching on. It looks like it's happening now. Is that in Nothing like necessity. Way, people, are, people are seeing um, more clearly what all is at stake, just how complicated all of this uh, this hairball it really is. Yeah, well, and it's so many different ones. I mean, you can you can try to trace one all the way through, but it just doesn't work that way because it's all has well. And the real reason behind this is like a whole other can of worms. And you know, which one are we going to talk about? Um, so something since we're we're taking a little time to establish the groundwork. Something that I know is readily available out there, but I don't want to be the one to say, go watch it on YouTube and come back later. Uh, So the whole, it's not just that our monetary system is based upon the oil industry and therefore upon the fortunes of people who control the oil industry. 
Um, but part of that whole thing is the central banking system, which I think a fair amount of people still don't realize just how dark and crazy that whole story, that whole story it is. is. It is the world slavery system. It's totally psychological. And uh, trying to rescue everybody from it is, uh, is a massive undertaking. Mm -hmm. um, I honestly didn't think that was humanly possible. I'm starting to change my mind about that. Just grabbing my charger because I realized my battery's going to go. Yeah, go for it. I think that's that's wonderful, and I'd like to like kind of let that be the theme for the rest of the conversation. Is because why are we talking if not to give other people reason for hanging on to hope? You know, even yeah. when the conventional knowledge says, "Well, that's just naive to think we're not all going in the shitter together." By golly, but you know, what are we here for if not to uh, enjoy? Uh, big finish and a happy ending. Yeah, uh, I'm, I have reasons to be optimistic. Um, this is after decades of not finding very many reasons to be optimistic. <laughs> things, mm -hmm. Unexpected things have happened in the last few years that uh, yeah. I, slowly I was forced to take a look at. Uh, we get into uh, QAnon here. Mm -hmm. um, I wait, wait, let's come back to that. Let's come back to that. Because we still, um, so the Fed, the central banking system, um, you know, just, just so it's all been said in one place. So as I've heard the versions of the story, there's like a backroom deal where essentially the future earning potential of all of the American people was sold as goods mm -hmm. and created the debt that is the mechanism of our monetary system. It is, it's not just something you're saying, it is literally a yeah, covert labor system. Yep, our labor is collateral. Yeah, uh, we are, in a sense, the livestock. Um, I've seen lots of theories about how that was supposed to have been implemented. You know, you've heard the stories about the birth certificates being a kind of stock certificate. Right. There may be some truth to that. In essence, that's the way it's being treated anyway, whether it's mm -hmm. a legal fact, I don't know. Right, well then, and then the whole legal thing gets into um, admiralty law versus natural law. Yeah. That's a big thing that uh, Sasha Stone's doing a great job of bringing that into the public awareness. We've long since abandoned the idea of uh, natural law, or even for that matter, uh, common law. Common law mm. is a kind of natural law, it's a consensus. Um, People agree to um, basically what people agree to is not acceptable. Whereas in uh, more like Admiralty or Roman law, you have a list of things you may do. And if it doesn't say you can do it, you can't do it. So, for example, all of Latin America is based on this kind of law. It's, um, you know, there are decrees that say what you may do. The differences between the that system and the British common law system are really important um, and, and hardly, hardly known. Right. Um, I see people here who have a vague awareness that um, there ain't no law that says that we can't do this or that. There ain't no law that says that we have to do that. And they're right. It was juries that decided those things mm. long ago. And uh, yet the same uh, abuses that it, tyrannical and 
edicts that have come out in South America, nobody has any way to challenge it, you know, because they're just decrees. Mm. They don't have that concept of English common law. Mm -hmm. So the basis of common law or natural law, assuming that there is sort of the same thing, is the sovereignty of the human being. Is that correct? Right. And the it comes back to the money too, because the intrinsic locus of value is in what I decide about anything. It's valuable if I decide that it's valuable. Yeah, and it's, um, it's valuable if you can freely exchange it with somebody else who considers it valuable. And there's no prohibition against it. There's no harm being done to anyone. There, um, so uh, let, let, me, let me just go on to this and, you know, ch check me if I'm missing important details here. So as it has been explained to me, admiralty law gets us into this whole realm where the, um, the players on the world stage who see them very much as the players on the world stage and us as the pawns in the game are the wielders of this admiralty law, which is the law of the high seas. And the reason that it has somehow come to govern over us is because they're pirates and they know it. They take what they want and they laugh with each other over their, over their rum and dead men's bones as, yeah. as they do it. Yeah, those are the admirals who had to make uh, executive decisions uh, without instant communication with the king. So they basically had the full license of the king to do whatever they saw fit. And uh, this has crept over the English-speaking world uh, slowly since, uh, well, in the 20th century, uh, where corporations kind of displaced um, the law of the land. Mm -hmm. It used to be the law of the land, the highest law of the land was the county. So the sheriff was the, he was the executive of um, laws. And uh, slowly we have ceded all of that to federal, uh, federalism, federal government, corporate cities, corporate municipalities, and all that. And all this was kind of done on the sly, uh, gradually, you know, where we wouldn't really notice what was going on. And our lawyers didn't stop it from happening. So that means that in some way, they were compromised very early in the game. The bar and so forth. The bar, the barristers are kind of uh, royal class that have allowed this to happen. So, okay. So here's another key element that I kind of recently became aware of. So one of the excuses for using this kind of law, and uh, it's all tied in with the birth certificate, that the birth certificate is essentially if you interpret it from the esoteric position that's behind the game that these sociopath, well, psychopaths are playing, um, that it's a certificate of ownership of the soul with the presumption that this is not a living being, not a human being. Uh, whereas the opposite perspective, the back to natural laws, I am, how does Sasha say it? I am uh, the, the living men and women of the living soil the actual human beings who are playing a whole different game whenever they wake up and realize that they could be playing that game. In a sense, we were born in servitude, not told that we have any sovereignty. And 
few of us discover that we do have sovereignty, but we're stuck in a system that doesn't acknowledge that. So the resistance against that has to be done in a very wise manner, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that you don't end up getting in trouble. You know, there's there's what I call the uh, you may think you're doing right and you're not harming anybody, but ultimately, if you get the wrong kind of attention, you find yourself uh, in the focus of what I call 44 Magnum jurisdiction. It doesn't mm. matter if you were right or wrong, if you did something legally. If, if you encounter the uh, Admiralty system accidentally, you right. find yourself a casualty. You got to be wary of uh, just trying to stay away from those people <laughs> as mm -hmm. you can. There's a few people that have tried to go up against the system using, you know, the common law, but most, almost, almost always, they're destroyed. Right. And in many cases, I've seen they're really smart people. They know really well uh, what they're talking about, but they don't understand that they're outdone. Well, because that, that's the unseen thing, is that this system, whatever piece of it we see, is the face of a global crime syndicate. Yeah, they managed to replicate this throughout the world, <clears throat> with a few exceptions. Those are always the enemies, you know, that we have to destroy. Right. The, the North Koreas and the Syrias and the Libyas. The Venezuelans. They don't want to go along with the federal um, dollar system and the admiralty corporate law, global corporate law. Then, uh, well, they're, they have a way of dealing with them. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, cause, because I saw at one point the list of countries that we plan to go to war to is the same list as those who do not have central banks. Correct. Ding! Yeah, <laughs> yep. Yep. that tells everything right there. Yeah. Huh. No fun being a stooge. We got to tell a better story. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff I really was starting to um, alert people to uh, 15 years ago, back when all uh, people that talked about this were called conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was encouraged. Um, I started to notice about five years ago that I actually could go to a pub and, and bring up these topics and people had some awareness of it instead of shrinking away from it. So um, that's encouraging. People are, people are starting to see the, uh, the crack in the facade more and more. And uh, especially young people, people in their 20s, they, they just kind of have a uh, in, innate sense that everything they've been told is BS. Yeah, because they, they saw it was never going to work for them, even if it had worked at one point. People that are my parents' age, um, mm -hmm. they're a lot tougher to interact with about these topics because they, they become brittle and they're thoroughly convinced of reality, the reality that they try to put me into. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. So when you started talking about a hopeful perspective, you brought up QAnon. 
which I guess there are still people who don't even know what that is. And people who, when they go to find out, they go to the Google description, which is it's a far right conspiracy theory. Those are, mm -hmm. those are racist sons of bitches. Don't you be anywhere near them. And you know, who knows what people think. Right. Yeah. I know the first time I said something that didn't contain, contain the requisite fuck Trump signal, uh, people started blasting back at me. Oh, I guess you follow QAnon too. And what about the babies in cages? And you know, people get, people get very animated. <laughs> yeah, my, my introduction to this um, is informed by my background in military intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've learned methods of eliminating from my list of people who know what they're talking about. Uh, you know, I, people make predictions and they're wrong all the time. Why listen to them? So uh, QAnon was one of those things. I, and I have to say in the beginning of this conversation that I didn't vote for Trump. <laughs> I didn't really actually know anything about Trump. Um, I thought of him as a kind of celebrity and uh, didn't pay any attention to anything that he had to say. It was a total joke until it wasn't anymore. Yeah, that's the thing that clued me in. Um, you know, I was trying to find my way out of the United States. You know, I mm -hmm. went to go live in the Netherlands at this time when the election was happening. And uh, what clued me in was that um, as soon as it, well, first of all, the media was saying there's no friggin' way he's going to make it. And I, I didn't pay any attention to that because I was rather was rather skeptical about the entire election system anyway, and I didn't really feel that my vote mattered at all, mm -hmm. that everything was rigged. And then I'll never forget the morning that I heard um, that he had won the election. I thought it was the ultimate joke on our system before the world. Mm -hmm. And I laughed out loud. But what I noticed is that instantly the faucet of hate was turned on, the unanimous uh, chorus of mm -hmm. eight. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And I started to figure out, oh, I wanted to know why they hated him so much. It was so bad about this guy, because I'd never seen this happen before. And well, let's face it, most of our presidents going back since I was a child are kind of scumbags, you know? Right. Well, and, and that's, that's part of how we were programmed, right? Because I remember the first president who I really became aware of was Nixon. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about a public, you know, shit smearing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, you're the first person who ever pointed out that none of that was actually real. It's like, oh, I was, I was so young, I just took it in as, well, that's what it is, and, and all the good guys are bad guys. I had no reason to question anything I was told about Nixon for decades. Um, and, you know, I was a kid, so it didn't matter, you know, it was done, it was mm -hmm. on, and, uh, whatever happened, it happened. Uh, <clears throat> so in comes all this hate for Trump, it got my curiosity up, and I started trying to find why I heard all the accusations, and I kind of tried to chase all those lines of inquiry, and didn't really find anything that really was alarming to me. You know, I, you have to look at the man as a billionaire. He's going to rub el elbows with people that billionaires rub elbows with. It's inevitable, especially in New York City. I kept on hearing about QAnon. Hmm. I wrote it off as another ridiculous internet conspiracy theory. 
but it didn't really go away. So I thought I would get to the bottom of it. And I started paying attention to what Q himself says, not what people said he says. You have to admit yeah. this. Same thing with Trump. I don't care what people say Trump said. What did Trump say? I found all those uh, old tweets of his from 2013 about the monetary system, the national debt, the child forevers, all of this. And I understood that he knew something that the media was protecting. Mm. Those are big, really big issues that have been heavily guarded for decades. Mm -hmm. The money system and the child trafficking. I was aware of the child trafficking thing. Uh, disgusting topic. It's nauseating. Nobody wants to talk about it. And um, so I started paying attention to QAnon. Started thinking about it from the perspective of military intelligence. And I kind of realized that this person, a group of people, they know what they're talking about. They understand military comps. They understand uh, networks, back channels, operations planning. Over a while, I started to see that there was some serious strategy being implemented because you have to take into account everybody's level of understanding of reality. You have to take into account. Oh, you're getting real quiet, Joe. You have to take into consideration the constituencies, the base voter, the voter base, all mm -hmm. that. Like, I'm not I'm not one of those Christian cowboys that uh, is a Trump supporter. <laughs> not one of those people. Not a Republican. Mm -hmm. um, for years I called myself an anarchist, but I realistically know that that's a hundred years away for that to even be possible. Uh, we're not there. We're not ready for that. We have to do something about the money system first. <laughs> mm -hmm. We have to do something about the school system and the way that we raise our children before any of that could be possible. Right. The QAnon, um, to me, represents a masterful planning. I mean, I saw time and time again that the QAnon predicted things, um, sometimes a year, two years in advance, to the day. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I put in my, I put in my supercomputer and artificial intelligence uh, thinking, and I, I'm kind of worried because now I'm starting to see evidence of some ability to do massive logistical strategy that is frightening in the right. wrong hands. Right. And I started to wonder, well, who has this capability? This is not something human beings can do. This is not something generals in the Pentagon can do. And I thought, somehow they have the ability to see the future. And I've heard rumors about that technology. But didn't have any proof of it, but here it is. Mm -hmm. Somebody is able to do it. So that really got my attention. I want to know who's got this power. I want to know what their real intentions are. Kind of right. looks very patriotic, and um, you know, it looks good um, at the level of Trump supporters, at the level of patriots. But what if it's? Um, what if it's a deception within a deception? So I exactly. To know. Exactly. And if they're that good at it, that's a really scary possibility. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, if you're going to talk about a small group of aliens controlling the planet, here's what you got to do. 
you gotta, you're not going to do this with military force. You're going to do it with psychological operations. Mm -hmm. You're going to do it with people in high places that are working for you. You're going to do it through having control over the mass media, over the monetary system. And, well, what's going on? Here we got, uh, we got a completely controlled mass media system. We got a completely centralized monetary system. And apparently, a group of people inside, you know, maybe an enclave of people in the Department of Defense, maybe kind of maybe retired people who came out of that, who decided we got to do something about this now, or it's it's going to be too late. Mm -hmm. And that's really the way I see it now. This is uh, this is a military operation. This is not something one man can do. Certainly not Trump. Not not taking anything away from him as a uh, his intelligence or his character, but mm -hmm. uh, it's not a one-man job. There's, there's no way. Yeah, um, you know, there's supercomputers involved. There's, mm -hmm. there's artificial intelligence involved. There's some, some way of seeing the future involved and steering the, the best possible timeline. And we get into some really weird topics there, but unfortunately, yeah. can't really throw those, can't dismiss them because we've been told for a hundred years by the quantum physicists that there are some strange things that break down at the quantum level, you know, that right. distance and doesn't matter and time doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's the stuff that, the stuff that is the hardest to swallow is what gives me the most confidence. Yeah. Because I don't go, you know, through standard physics channels, but I have this like intuitive understanding and everything that I just like get from interacting with the universe eventually some physicist says this is how it is it's like yeah I could have told you that <laughs> want to know what yeah, it means? I mean if you've experienced synchronicities you know that there is a deeper level of organization happening in time in history mm -hmm. that involves the individual you know the, the individual who is seeking to be um, the best possible used to um, the best possible um, service to humanity. Right. They, they and have those experiences, and you can't deny them. You can't explain mm -hmm. them, but you can't deny them. Right, and that's actually one of the keys, is that when you place yourself within this larger context where there's, there's something organized going on, something yeah. intelligent going on, something that tends toward beauty going on, then it only makes sense that it wants to talk with us. And that if you, if you keep your vessel focused, that you have access to, I mean, you know, that's the mystic, you know, behind the scenes at the human experience. You put it in Christian terms, it's the voice of God. You put it in quantum terms, it's a computer you never dreamed of. But one way or the other, we're coming to terms with the reality that we build the future now. And when we turn on that vision of the future through like dogged belief in it, it begins yeah. to draw us toward it. And that's what the cutting edge physics is saying. And it sounds like magic because, well, that's what it's always been. One of the things that's really interesting about QAnon is that it states very plainly that this is an education program to create an awakening, a mass awakening. And of all the different groups, thinkers that I've seen that wanted to bring about positive change, they always wanted to come up with this perfect plan or perfect system, but what always is missing is how do you communicate this on a massive scale? 
how do you get people to understand it? How do you get them to believe in it? How do you get them to act? And, and that's always missing. How do you do that? Well, you have to have some faith in the um, collective intelligence in the universe. If you don't believe in that, then I'm sorry, but your theory is probably not going to work. Because mm -hmm. that is how life works. You look at life, it's massively parallel. Everything is autonomous. The center, uh, every, every creature is doing its own natural calling. All of us have our own callings, too. They're more complicated than the calling of a tree, but we have them. And um, somehow there has to be a, there has to be a concerted effort. Mm -hmm. There has to be a unity um, that brings about this awakening. There has to be something that we all can feel as a common purpose. You know, and our theories of economics just don't, they just don't go there. And, yeah. and no matter how, they, how correct they are in all other respects, this leaving that out, uh, it's just a nice theory. Yeah. And I do see some kind of, I see some kind of, um, concert, concerted effort happening, mm -hmm. and it's happening kind of a, on a longer time scale than most people's attention span. So a lot of people aren't quite seeing it. Right. Well, because because when um, the Q post began in what 2017, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. In November, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the the public face of the operation very much corresponds to the Trump presidency, and the um, the story is that he was specifically enlisted for the job because um, he's in a unique position. I mean, having enough impact on the global stage to know everybody, but not being a politician. That's actually kind of a key. An outside insider and uh, somebody who doesn't really mind being hated because he knows about the power of publicity. He's had contact with, he's had the opportunity to go to those parties where some of the sordid things uh, where other people meet each other. Yeah. It seems like um, he at some point become aware, he'd become aware of the human trafficking and um, fact that he knows about that that is the currency of corruption that's the mm -hmm. ultimate blackmailing system mm -hmm. so even you know I used to say that the money is the law not the, the law is not the law money is the law but there is there's another currency beyond the money and it's it's blackmail right it's human trafficking right and I started to become aware I was like what, what is the big deal about this wall of course it sounded ridiculous to me but as I started to hear about people being trafficked over the border, and it wasn't just drugs, but people. And I started to get an idea that what is being done is, you know, if you want to kill a terrorist organization, you have to defund it. You have to cut off its funding. Terrorism needs money. Everything like that needs money. That's when I started to see that, uh, well, this wall is not ridiculous. You know, that it's not about Mexicans are bad people. It's about human trafficking that has just been, just been wide open. Yeah. And, and since that time, I have witnessed 
all of these um, funding sources systematically shut down. So that's why I'm optimistic now. Because mm -hmm. I don't care what you say about Trump. I don't care about you know how poorly he speaks. He's doing it. He's shutting off the funding for all these things. And I believe that uh, when we, when the general public sees what this is really all about, that, er, that as QAnon says, the people will be united. Yeah. Almost everybody agrees on one thing, and that's you do not do this to people. You do not do this to children. Right. So whether you're a, a Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, everybody agrees on that. Remember, it was uh, Catherine Austin Fitz would say something this kind of remark. She, would, she was famous for being the um, secretary or undersecretary in the Bush administration for HUD. And uh, they really railroaded her because she found out about this missing trillions of dollars. But she would say something that was really interesting. She'd go to these local political uh, meetings and when it came down to what we're going to spend the money on, everybody agreed. Didn't matter what party they were in. You know, we got to have this. We got to have this. And uh, really, it's going to come down to the money and the children. <laughs> that's going to unite the people. Yeah. I well, and, and that totally makes sense. That's kind of the brilliance of the plan: is that it does come down to a fundamental understanding of human nature. Yeah. Um, and that gives me, I mean, to you know, kind of tie it all up in a ball. This fundamental belief that I've cultivated, because it's the only thing that makes it work is that we are inside of something that ends well. I mean, on a mystical level, it's like I've been to the future and it's beautiful. I'm not worried at all. I have this like true real-time understanding that it's my responsibility to build the future in my sacred imagination. Mm -hmm. And the best, the best collective future that I see is this you know, to the masses sounds like a highly improbable story. First of all, orange man good, which is like, oh, just don't even say that or my head will blow up. And then behind <laughs> that, like all of that ego is actually turned toward doing the best job you ever saw because that's his like what he ultimately gets off on is being able to say neener 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 you like me now don't you <laughs> and you know i for one i'm willing to pay that price if that's what i have to do to end up in the world where everything works instead of a dystopian future is cross the orange man threshold it's like okay i guess you got me it's really important for people to find ways to know something for sure. That mm. um, you know, we, we, so many people say, "Oh, we know this, and we know that." Uh, when the fact is, they were told that by the media. So, what you what do you really know? You know what you've witnessed firsthand. Mm. You know what you have a right to think. You know things that you have deduced from things that you know. This is what science is about. You know, if you observe something and you observe something else and you can correlate them, then you can deduce a relationship, you can make predictions, you can test whether your theory is correct about that relationship. You get to the point where you know some things, and it doesn't have to be a lot, then it gives you the power to reject everything else. Mm -hmm. It's a superpower to have, the ability to know who to ignore, and the ability to not care 
what people call you, what people say about you, doesn't matter. This is something that Trump obviously has. He does not care what people say about him. That's mm -hmm. his superpower. Yeah. Everybody really does need this superpower because ridicule is the ultimate weapon in society. It is the especially right now. Ooh. Main uh, self-policing force mm -hmm. is ridicule. We all we all learned early in the playground that we don't like being made fun of. We want people to like us. We want to fit in. But the reality is that you can't be too concerned about what people think about you or your ideas. If you know something, you know something. Like, you know the sky is blue. Nobody can talk you out of it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many people agree with them. Mm -hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah. Super yeah. important. Yeah, I remember... Um... So I've had people who were like willing to engage in conversation, like try to pin me down with some kind of simple answer. It's like, yeah, but, but why, why is he not the devil? Like, you know, asking me to hand them the secret dossier or something. And what it comes down to for me is I didn't vote for Trump either. I held my nose and voted for Hillary. You know, I, I having told people that she's, and evil. It's like I voted for her anyway because I didn't know what else to do. Because um, I was believing that Trump is even worse because everybody knows that, by golly. Doesn't it feel like that? Yeah. And then three o'clock in the morning, my daughter slammed open the door of my bedroom and says, holy shit, they elected him! On <laughs> <laughs> the end of the world. <laughs> I know, it's like, poof, sky falling, boom. Well, I was planning on voting for Sanders, you know, not that I, you know, I'm not a socialist, but I just didn't have any reason to, I, I, he wasn't Hillary. Exactly. I know too much about Hillary to vote for, I just couldn't do it, but uh, we all know what happened to Sanders twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, I have, the, I have the birdie sticker from the magic moment when the bird landed on the podium. It's like, he's blessed by God, let him do the job. But, you know, of course, in hindsight, I mean, he would have been massively destroyed once he got in office. I can't imagine what they would have done to him. They would have owned him somehow. I don't, I don't know how they would have done it, but it, it appears that it was all known in advance uh, that he was never going to be elected. And mm. that he was just there to suck votes and you know, away from Trump, perhaps. Uh, he didn't mm. do well enough in that function. But uh, this is part of the game. Yeah. All right, so I don't like to go too much longer than an hour, so let's try and bring all this to a nice point of rest. I think we covered a lot of really good ground. Um, so how do you know things? How do you know when you know something? That is a super important topic, which deserves another full length. So let's, let's save that for next time. <laughs> I will say, uh, I will say, uh, assuredly, it is possible to know things. There are different ways of knowing things. So I mentioned one, personal experience. Personal experience is a way to know something. Um, books, maybe not. Mm. History books, maybe not. The media, doubtful that you can know something from the media. However, I do have a technique with dealing with the media. The media is still a lens for me. But number one, I would say 
that you can make money betting against whatever the media says. Mm -hmm. That's a superpower. It's a secret. And art is reading between the lines when you start to get a feel for propaganda and you start to see what they're trying to put out there, what they want people to put narrative, they want people to accept. And you can read the read between the lines concerning what it is that that is trying to mask. You know, they're, they, they're six ways from Sunday, they're trying to shoot down a particular idea out there that, that needs to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Look at that thing that needs to be destroyed, and you, it gives you something to look at, something to look into. And 99% of the time, you can be sure that whatever it is they're trying to discredit is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes there's sense. Something that, there's a kind of knowing right there. It's, it's not something in the realm of fact, you know, like this happened, this person did that. It's not that kind of knowing, but it's knowing what you're not supposed to know, what you're not supposed to look at. Mm -hmm. That's important. And um, another really a big thing that human beings have an innate sense of knowing. There's many things that you could call it. Some people like the Gnostics. I, have this idea that you have a direct connection to the divine. Mm -hmm. I I would call myself a Gnostic, but I don't mean in the sense of the early Christian Gnostics because they had certain attitudes about the human body and about the fleshly life. You know that I don't agree with. But the idea that you don't have an intermediary, right. you know, uh, between yourself and the, the divine mm -hmm. who is teaching you. You have these feelings that are hard to define, um, that with time, with practice, you can learn to uh, acknowledge and, and actually take action on them, even though you don't know why, you don't know exactly what it means. But how many times have we had the feeling of, uh, you know what, that's a bad idea, you should not go there with those people. Mm -hmm. That's not going to work out good. Those kind of things everybody has, you know, and we almost always regret it when we ignore it. So cultivating this sense of what I call innate or inner knowledge, inner knowing, is a whole major topic that I'm prepared to discuss at a, at a later date. Yeah, that's definitely worthy. And I, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's a, nice, a nice point to end because in the end, that's the only answer I could give when somebody pressed me for a 3D why is because I know. Yes. And I know because... I actually asked the question. I mean, after the world fell down and Donald Trump became the president, I used my mystical skills to go backstage and find the actor who's playing this role and say, what? What are you doing here? What is this about? Let's talk. What's, my, what's the rest of my life going to look like? And I was very surprised to meet a radiant being of grace and goodness and mirth with a plan and like no doubts. And it's like, it was a completely mystical experience, but he sold me, he trumped me. <laughs> that I was, I, I mean, I, I know in my knower that I'm on the same team with, I mean, that big picture, you know, the big picture is working through this guy and I don't have to like him, but it's sure gonna go a heck of a lot better if I'm on the team that's cause Things are going to go his way. That's just how he's made. There are things that you can know that you cannot prove to anybody else. All you can say is, hey, if you go through that door that I went through, you will know. Mm -hmm. I can't prove it to you unless you prove it to yourself. Yeah.
that is a great place to stop. That is a great place to stop. And I love, I love that um, you're living on that balance point with the, the science mind and the mystic mind, because we're at that place where we're realizing they're the same thing. And if you made either one of them mutually exclusive, you're really kind of screwed going forward as far as I can see. They should lead to each other if done correctly. Exactly. And it's my understanding, I, I, I had this um, great magazine in my hands once, the Journal of Science and Spirituality, I think it was. And they did this historical piece, you know, and I can't state the details, but basically saying that when we began this journey, science split off from faith because it wanted to answer some questions. And then if you're doing that in good faith, when you find the answers, you come back and say, hey, this is what I found. And then you all talk about God together. But you have a new idea of what that is. Mm -hmm. The great scientific minds of the, well, the early re Renaissance were people who were not atheists. You know, they were seeking the divine guidance. They were seeking to understand uh, the supreme nature of reality, not just the natural reality, but the supernatural reality. Mm -hmm. um, it's a mistake to, um, I, I don't necessarily advocate religion. I'm not anti-religious per se, but um, you have to have that sense of mystery in there. The whole inspiration of science is to explore the unknown, you know, which is right there to be discovered. And it was all put there by the great plan <laughs> somehow yeah yeah no I, I totally agree and after I went through some religious trauma I like what made the exercise of putting that in like concrete scientific terms and darned if it wasn't right there it's like there's plenty to have faith in there's plenty you can just surrender to and say you know this thing is working and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy the ride as much as I possibly can for the moment, I see my, my role uh, right now as a kind of a, uh, interpreter between those two worlds to help people see that the only thing that's missing is um, connecting the language. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, there is a way to understand what this scientific world is saying and what the spiritual world is saying, that it's really the same thing. And uh, you have to kind of go deep into the rabbit holes of both to be good at it. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm always working on it. Well, to me, I mean, that's, that's the mystic, you know, it's, it's, how do you F the ineffable? <laughs> you just, <laughs> that's probably a good place to end. <laughs> yes. Thank you. It's almost a great title for, for his show, Fing the Inevitable. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the journey with me. I hope we can do it again. I look forward to doing it again. Wonderful. So I'll change the view here. So now we send out again the perfect tone, that representation of coherence that informs the biosphere. There is goodness. There is pattern there is grace and i choose to ride that wave and to make my wake available for anybody who wants to come trailing after thank you for joining me uh, you want to find out more hit me up at kayleenmacaw.com and it'll all take care of itself till we meet again